Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. You can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, Jenny Keane is a holistic sex educator who, through her workshops online and in person, is breaking down the barriers to having open and honest conversations about health and wellness in this very natural bodily function. Today, she talks about what true sexual wellness is, the definition of our sexuality, and the many elements which hold us back. Jenny's star is ever on the rise. She has a massive online following, has just confirmed a regular slot on Irish breakfast telly and her energy is infectious. So while you might want to be aware of the nature of the discussion for younger listeners, especially, but I am telling you, she is well worth checking out. I'll also be joined by Denise Kennyburn, the co-founder of The Head Plan, to discuss the importance of writing things down to make them happy and why she's now focusing on financial wellness. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I'll tell you what I've been working on this week. Eating well, upping the veg intake and introducing a few new recipes into the mix. I just think it can be so easy to get stuck in a rut with the same breakfast, the same lunch, the same dinner routine. And when I go to the supermarket, I just end up chucking the same stuff in. And so the cycle begins again. But I was quite inspired by Melissa Hemsley when she came on the show a couple of weeks back. So I actually bought her book, which leans into lots of veg, eating in season and using up leftovers. So I sat down with the book, picked out a few dinners, wrote what I needed on a list for the shop, which is a far more efficient way to do things. I just never actually do it. And I've been on the lookout for more veggie recipes because I've been going that way a bit more. And it's really hard to know what to do to replace the usual meat and fish and two veg or whatever. And when you do buy more veg and you're going to cook vegetable recipes, you're not as under pressure because the meat or the fish is going off in the fridge. So that was just a bit of a something I noticed. Anyway, it has breathed new life into my kitchen. We had one new breakfast, custard oats that I got from the Food Medics Instagram, a lentil shepherd's pie effort and a bean thing. Look, the kids edit. I achieved something I set out to do. And I just focus on adding three new things because that's also something I've learned. If you go too big, the chance of failure increases too. So I started small and I feel I won big. I'm going to go at it again this week, so I'll let you know how I go. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, Denise Kennyburne is co-founder of The Head Plan. She's a life coach and all-round gem in the wellness world. She's been a guest on the show before talking about her business, which now has a range of products, many of which focus on writing things down to make them happen. Her latest deals with financial wellness and she joins me on the line now. Denise, how are you? I'm good, Claire. It's so good to talk to you again. Now, I am an avid follower of yours on Instagram and I was only thinking in the lead up to this chat, things have come so far since you first posted. I can see the picture now of you beside your Christmas tree with the One Head Plan book, the first product in your hand. Remind people of the concept behind it all. Yes. So that was December 2019. Some Sometimes it feels like only yesterday and other times it feels like 10 years ago. But yeah, it's changed so much since then. So I suppose if I could describe the head plan, I'd say it is now a personal de- a guided personal development and wellness brand and community. So we did launch initially with just one journal and that was all around the ritual of journaling and goal setting. 
I have journaled since I was a child. I'm so, so passionate about having a good journal ritual and a good goal setting ritual and being clear on what I want and what I'm working towards. And there's a statistic I often refer to that blows my mind. And that is 97% of the global population do not set goals. 3% only think about the goals and only 1% actually write them down. And I have been in that 1% since I was a child and it blew my mind that people are going through life without having a clear plan of what they really want and they're getting caught up in other people's plans. So the head plan journal is essentially a method of goal setting and aligning your actions essentially write it down and make it happen is our tagline. And that's what it's all about. Since that picture, Claire, we have grown to 18 SKUs. So we have 18 different products. We have a thriving community app um, in which we bring the journal pages to life. We've collaborated with Roxy, who I know was a guest uh, with you only a few weeks ago. And um, we have a range of products with her. We have a very exciting product roadmap. And yeah, it's just, it's been, it's been an amazing journey and I can't, sometimes can't believe where we are now today. I know, you have a staff, you have an yes, office. we're in an office. Yes, <laughs> it's it's amazing. In real life. Yeah, it's amazing. It's so good. Incredible to watch. So can we talk a little bit then about financial wellness? What does yeah. it mean to be financially well? Yeah, I feel like it's so topical at the moment, isn't it? And probably not for the right reasons, because I think a lot of us are feeling financial strain um, now more than ever. I mean, that inflation word keeps creeping in. But being financially well is not about, I will start by saying, it's not about having or earning more money. It's about being financially well with the money that you already have. It's about adapting a good money mindset about the money you already have and being in control of your finances, having a clear overview of where your finances are going, maybe planning um, to save a little if you're fortunate to have some savings. It's planning those spends in the future it's not tapping as you go so it's it's all about that controlling the controllables if you will and money can cause so much stress in our lives even this low hum that just goes on in the background as you say if we're not really in control or being intentional with how we're spending why do we bury our heads in the sand so much about this one I feel money does cause a lot of anxiety and what do we do when something anxious comes up against us? A lot of us turn around and go the other direction. I mean, we're not going to like intentionally lean into something that makes us anxious. So we're going to bury our head in the sand. Unbeknownst to a, a lot of us, doing that is actually making us more anxious. If we lean into it a little more and take control and realize that we have more control over our finances than we probably realize by taking the pen to paper, by, by tracking in your phone, by not tapping and maybe taking some money out and having that in your wallet as opposed to tapping and going. We have the control. We just turn a blind eye to it because it makes us nervous and anxious. And it's so interesting that when sometimes when you do, things aren't as bad as, as you think. I, no. I've, I've spoken before on the show about a podcast interview I did with Santa Sogara who got herself out of debt and, and nothing yeah, really fabulous. changed. You know, she's a single mom of two. She had all this debt and she just decided to take control. She is incredible. And 
when she wrote down what she owed, she had a figure of about 40 to 50K in her mind. And Mm. it wasn't that. It it was half that. And already that seemed more manageable. What we have in our head actually looks a lot different on paper. Exactly. But that's the premise of everything to do with the head plan. It's about getting it down on paper and seeing it. Um, Our mind can play tricks on us, Claire. You know this. Get it down on paper, like set those financial goals and and go for it. How do we take control of our finances, though, even when what we earn and what Mm. goes out won't necessarily change? Yeah. And like I said, it's not about earning more or cutting all the bills out. But I suppose the first thing I'd recommend to do, and it's the first thing we do in the journal, is we do a financial audit. Uh, So it's a deep, in-depth personal financial review. So I suppose it's getting clear oversight of one month, say, of what actually leaves your account? Like, are, is there sneaky subscriptions in there that you're, you're not even realizing are still coming out? So have a look at, at your outgoings for the month and then really mindfully plan your spends, track your spends, take a month tracking your spends, see how you go. Maybe you're spending 80 euro a month on coffee and you didn't even realize. Like, track your spends and, and really see where your money is going. Yeah, and I I spoke as well on the show about, it was one of my college lectures and it was about joy-based spending in the area of financial wellness. And she was sort of saying, when you take an audit and you have a look, maybe the coffee is okay because that's brought you a lot of joy. She brings her laptop, she does a lot of her work, she loves it. That's important. But if you're like, oh my God, I I don't need that. Well, then that could get crossed off your list. So what works for one person won't be the same. Everybody's individual. Exactly. And I always keep a splurge list. So I always have, like I I always do a seasonal splurge, I call it. It's a bit of a mouthful, but every season I plan a splurge spend. (laughs) So it does put me off tapping for the herbal tea when I could just bring a herbal tea with me in my reusable cup do you know like it's little things like that it's it's about having your bigger picture in mind like what are you saving for like what are your financial goals do you even have them written down do you know what they are or are you just aimlessly going out tapping your card and living month to month you know yeah and it is so easy to spend now because it's just a so tap. easy or you'll mm. see something on somebody else online mm. and all of a sudden it's in your basket and it's on its way. And, you know, yeah. there's nothing you can do on- about it. Online is difficult. And um, I've definitely put up a lot more restrictions than I used to with online. I mean, it used to be so easy to just, particularly on Instagram, to swipe up when somebody was sharing something and, and you get caught up in that impulse But again, I suppose it's aligning your financial goals to your day-to-day actions and you'd be less likely to swipe up if you knew you had a splurge or some big saving goal that you were working towards, be it a family holiday or something even smaller than that. It could be even to get the car repaired, to pass the NCT. Like it's, It's all about planning those spends. And like you say, when you've got it written down, you can take a moment and go, Do I need that? What is that? But until you've written it all down, you don't know what your standards are. You don't know what your goals are. You don't know. You haven't got it planned out. Exactly. Exactly. And what does an abundant life mean to you? So many people have so many different Mm. circumstances that will affect their ability to earn. Is, Mm. Is an abundant life open to everyone? I feel like abundance is 
constantly tied back to finance and it's not always about finance and material things. So an abundant life to me is about truly living and not existing. And I know that can sound wishy-washy, but it's really about having gratitude for every day that I have. But it's also about appreciating and celebrating everybody else around me with the belief that there is enough good for everybody in the world. So it's not necessarily about finance. I do believe everyone can live an abundant life though, to answer your question. It's about being grateful for what you have and celebrating those around you and 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 looking out for those red envy flags that fly high often when we see someone else with something we want. Um, it's, it's about believing that there is enough good for everybody in the world. Someone else's success or someone else's financial wins is not going to take from your ability to succeed or your own financial wins. And you're right. It's not always about financial gain. I think yeah. we always figure out underneath it all, no matter how many amazing joy splurge lists we have. Mm that the best things in life really are free. But we live in a world where money goes in, money goes out, whether we like Mm. it or not. And if we take a bit of control over it, it can just Mm. help things run better. Absolutely. And Claire, I actually read an amazing book, um, The Psychology of Money. And he actually talks about adapting that good, positive money mindset. And I just want to touch on something you said there. Even if you earned a lot more money than what you earned now, but you didn't adopt good, healthy money habits or a good money mindset, you'd be in the same situation with your spending and your relationship with money. It's your relationship that money that has to change. It's not your your ability to earn. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's about how you perceive money and your relationship with money. That's what the deep rooted thing that has to change. Yeah. So it's not about trying to get more into the bank. It's no, trying to be it's about smart. being good with what you have. Absolutely. Denise Kenny Byrne, co-founder of The Head Plan. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Claire. Jenny Keane is a holistic sex educator. She is trauma certified and holds workshops online and in person and is committed to breaking the taboo around a very natural bodily function. Having recently secured a regular slot on Ireland AM, Jenny is certainly bringing the conversation into the mainstream. A word of warning, it should be obvious where this conversation will go. So if there are smaller listeners, you'd prefer not to hear this. Now is the time. Jenny, you are very welcome to Alive and Kicking. How are you? I'm really good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on. I oh, you're so welcome. I have been watching your work grow on Instagram and I watch Instagram lives from time to time and, and you see like a smattering of people coming in and these are for some very big names will only even pull, you know, a couple of hundred people and then people will watch it back and they'll get, you know, a lot of views that way. But when you come on and talk live every week on Instagram, there there's a good thousand there at the very least. Things are really kicking off for you, aren't they? Yeah, well, they've always really been like that, to be totally honest. Um, yeah, I have a very engaged uh, audience. I don't like to call it audience. Like, I feel like they're more community. I know most of the people <laughs> turning up um, even even online. Uh, but I mean, the thing is, is that there's very few people talking about sex in this way. So it's I'm, 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 people are very curious. Right. And I am. Um, 
I don't know, though, I think the way we've kind of set up how we have conversations on Instagram that, you know, there's lots of education, but there's also lots of fun as well at the same time. And, you know, I'm a bit of a wild card, so people just never know what to expect. <laughs> it's like, don't miss, don't miss it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what everyone says. And when they reshare it, they're like, you've got to see this. There's so much to learn. Uh, Jenny is so knowledgeable but her energy is incredible. So buckle up. It's quite the ride, which I just absolutely love. And that is true. That is very true. You have a real magical energy that seeps across, um, regardless of the, the incredible work you're doing, breaking down boundaries around how we talk about sex. So how did all of this come about for you? Where did this start? Um... My goodness, that question is always so long for me. Uh, but but because you know, it's, uh, you know, when, when people started asking this question, I was like, oh, you know, it, it's because I I had a very difficult uh, relationship with my my menstrual cycle, so I started asking questions when I realized I did, I really didn't know so much about my body. But actually, the truth is, is that this kind of went back further into my childhood, and I I I was I was always into this world. Like I, my mum bought me my first. Um, sex education book when I was 13 years old I read it from front to back and literally started speaking to my friends about about their um, vulvas basically and I was like I was like, have you ever seen your clitoris? Like, do you know what a labia majora is? Like asking these questions. And part of me was like, am I re-remembering these things because of what I'm doing now? And then I had uh, one of um, the girls who follows me online said, you know what? I was in your very first sex skills workshop when I was, when you were 17, we were in the Gale Pact. So for me, like I was always speaking very openly um, about sex and, and, the the thing about um the difference between net access to information now versus access to information back then was that it wasn't readily available online. So when I had questions like, for example, is female ejaculation P? What's actually happening? You know, when I searched uh, Google, like you were getting a Wikipedia page and really there wasn't any information. So I was lucky enough to travel around the world quite young and uh, when I was in my early 20s and I, and I lived in California and California was a really powerful kind of, um, I suppose, instigator of being introduced to a world that I had never known existed before. I ended up um, in, I was very into yoga at the time, or I still am, but I, I was very into yoga. Then I started going to women's circles. In the women's circles, they were talking about your men, their menstrual cycle and, you know, uh, magical things like how to connect your menstrual cycle to the moon and all that kind of stuff. And I, and then through those circles, I started asking questions and more and more women were like, oh, you need to go to this person for this. So I found myself in a workshop with one of the like the leaders of the social and political sex revolution in the 70s talking about like being educated on female ejaculation and what is the g-spot and then i went into other workshops like you know and um, fun like fun ones you know like how to give a blow job or how to give a hand job and for me it was so interesting because you can you can think right as you're hearing this that it's very oh it's very shocking you know but when i was in these environments i was just feeling god this is just the most normal thing you know like why why isn't this uh why isn't this conversation um more widely available like why is it why is it not okay to talk to your friends and 
ask questions and you know share experiences with each other whereas in these environments it was totally open very free and 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 very uh loving and I think the biggest word that I would say is like very safe and very nurturing um so there was nothing scary about it even once you once I kind of went into these and then I just kept going in terms of asking more questions and finding more um teachers and mentors and I ended up uh, going into somatic therapy training and very specific trauma training and I was very interested in uh, sexual trauma and as I kept going uh, and really all of this was just for me Claire I had never intended to be doing what I'm doing in the way that I'm doing even though I I had always loved educating Um, and then what happened and I never thought that I would be doing it in Ireland just so you know I was teaching all over the world mostly in Asia and I came home to Ireland and in uh, I was coming home anyway but in 2016 um, I came home and my friends were like what are you doing like you're doing something different and I was like no no no, I'm just doing yoga they were like no no there's some you're doing something different you look different and they were like you're glowing like and I was like right if I tell you I said like uh I said we're you know don't be shocked I'm gonna tell you and then I told them what I was doing in terms of you know exploring sex education and every single one of them messaged me after that dinner and said I really want to know more and I messaged them back into the the big WhatsApp group. And I said, look, all of you have messaged me individually. Can we have this conversation here? And that was my first recognition of the fact that women in Ireland did want to talk about this. They wanted to know about it. And then I started holding workshops. And um, the very first workshop I held in Ireland was in 2016 uh, called Orgasm, which is now Orgasm Online <laughs> since COVID. So yeah, it's been a big um I haven't had a linear path into this, Claire, which is why it's uh, it's it's hard. I, I can tell this story in about 10 different ways, you know, so, but basically I just kept asking questions and I just kept finding who was the best person in the world to uh, answer this question for me. So I've really um, studied under a kind of huge variety of teachers and educators and researchers. And uh, it's been, yeah, it's been amazing. (laughs) It's so interesting to me also, and I was obviously thinking about it ahead of talking to you today. I mean, this is a health and wellness show um, and I've worked in current affairs and lifestyle for years. And particularly with this show being around health, we talk about the digestive system, the respiratory system, the circulatory system, mental Mm -hmm. health, physical health. Why is sexual health, which is an innate human need, a very normal bodily function, why don't we talk about it? Um, I think there's many reasons for that. I first of all think, you know, in, in, in previous years, we actually didn't have the resources and education available to us in the way that we do now. Uh, like, as I said, like when I was trying to uh, uh, get questions answered, it, it, I had to dig, you know, I really, really had to dig. And uh, whereas n- now it's much more accessible, especially in the way that we're able to share online. So, and, and it's like the same as everything, like, you know, a decade ago, we were probably just beginning to speak about mental health. And now mental health is almost part of the everyday conversation. I think it's only natural that 
the next kind of progression is to start to include sexual wellness and sexual well-being into the conversation and you know um because you know if we if we talk about sexual wellness and when i talk about sexual wellness and i, I call myself a holistic sex educator i'm talking about looking at sexual wellness through the four primary dimensions of what's happening physically what's happening emotionally what's happening intellectually what's happening spiritually if you go further than that you're also talking about including what's happening you know um i mean we can't exclude you know uh, social uh, social um stigma and uh, beliefs and and political and um, what else like and, and even national and then global um, situations that also impact the way that we discuss sex. So I think it's just I mean like a lot of people will say like oh is it because we're so closed down Irish people are so closed off um, and I think you know I I don't know if I stand by that so much because I I know from talking with Irish people that when you say, when you talk about sexual wellness, a lot of people tend to lean in. They come closer to you and they ask questions. They get the Irish people. I think Irish as Irish people as a nation, we are so curious. If you look at like how tiny our nation is and how widespread we are throughout the world, how we're known for being friendly and being able to, you know, talk with everybody. Like I used to travel around the world and whenever I said I was Irish, you know, it was, it was like an instant ticket into the social circle because they were like, oh, the Irish always get great crack, you know, because we're able to relate to people and be personable. And that is because we're interested in understanding other people, right, for the most part. And this translates into how we engage with sex. So yes, you know, there hasn't been a huge conversation around sex to date. Uh, but I mean, if you look at how fast things have moved for me, I moved online in 2020 with lockdown. I, like in 2019, I always say this in 2019, I had a hundred people in those workshops, right? In the in-person workshops. And that was because the space that I had was limited, right? I couldn't have a lot of people. Being online meant that more people could engage, also meant that uh, people felt safe engaging because they could be anonymous. They could have their cameras off. They didn't have to engage because I, when I talk, when I do the workshops, it's generally a seminar style. So it's me talking to everybody. And then we have the Q and A at the end, which is where people can con converse if they want to be a part of that conversation and ask questions. And so it became very, um, I suppose, empowering for people to engage because they could choose how and when they wanted to engage. And if you cut to 2021, I had over 20,000 people in those workshops, you know, seeking out education, being curious, asking questions, getting involved in the conversation. And if you look at today, you know, I'm, I, I don't know if you know, but I have a, a, a sex segment on Ireland AM. That's live national Irish TV, right? Um, talking about sex. And that's, you know, that's, 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 that is also uh, down to the ability of, you know, the producers being able to trust that I'm going to say, you know, uh, I'm going to say things okay, basically for live TV. And, and that requires a huge amount of, um, uh, I suppose, trust as well, right? But also the understanding that the people on the other side uh, who are watching those conversations are able to uh, or are willing to participate. And I think you can see that from what's happened, I think, even with just myself online, right? Yeah, and that's a huge step forward. I saw your post talking about your, your slot now on, on Ireland AM and you said it yourself, this is a huge step forward because you're right, Irish people are curious. We ask lots of questions and we want to know more and, and engage with people. So it is understandable, but we are very known for 
being a, a repressed nation with our big connection to religion here. And obviously all that's been shifting and changing over the last few years. So I did see it as a really positive step. So how mm. do you define sexual wellness? I mean, you, you mentioned the pillars there with which you'd, you'd view it, but how do you know your sexual well-being is in balance? Um, so for me, it's not so much about sexual wellness imbalance. Uh, so I kind of, the way I would describe it is I, I kind of teach people that it's like when we think about sexual wellness, sometimes we can kind of be given the idea or have the idea in our mind that, you know, to be sexually well means that, you know, you are in this constant state of, of bliss and ecstasy and pleasure and happiness all of the time. And for me, it's not so much about that. It's really about learning that everyone's experience, everyone experiences how our inner world and state of being affects our desire and interest in sex. Right. And, and contrary to what we might believe, sexual wellness isn't about being in this constant state of bliss and pleasure. The true power of sexual wellness is learning how to oscillate between states of stress and ease. Right. So learning how to navigate that journey well is really what developing wellness as a skill looks like, learning how to respond to that oscillation, right? Um, moment to moment is a tool that supports you in thriving in your sexual life, regardless of what's happening circumstantially, right? So it looks like learning, you know, I always say that people come to my work for in, in on education, right? Sexual education, mostly for one of two things. Um, and, and I always say this, like change happens through inspiration or desperation. So this willingness to understand more, to widen their viewpoint, to expand their imagination, to, to know more than they know now, right? So that's that element of creativity, wanting to be inspired. Um, this question of there has to be more than I know now. What is it, right? And, and, and kind of moving towards that question, right? The other reason is because people are experiencing issues um, in, with regards to their sexual wellness and they do not know how to support those issues. The lack of sex education is what has, I suppose, dis, I, I, it's a, it's a dis, it's a disempowering, right? When we aren't educated, because what me, what it means is when we are educated, we are given options, right? So when we learn how our body works, when we learn how our body functions, when we learn um, what arousal is and how it happens, you know, how it can happen in the mind, how it happens through the body. When we learn what desire is, when we learn the difference between desire, arousal and fantasy, right? Very basic understandings. When we learn what's happening uh, at a biological level, at a hormonal level, at a, at a chemical level, um, we now understand, first of all, what's happening. And when we understand what's happening, we have options about how to approach what it is we're experiencing. And when you're given options about how to approach what it is you're experiencing, you now have choice. So the ability to be able to act and the ability to be able to engage. And th this is what true empowerment is, right? This is why I always say like education will empower you because it, it teaches you how to respond to what is going on. I think that's the basis of, you know, um, for me, that is the basis of somatic therapy. Um, which I'm I, uh, just maybe to to tell you say a little bit about somatic therapy for people because I think it's still a very much a new word. 
in in terms of uh, different types of therapy, but where we talk about, you know, psychology, um, we're talking about talk therapy and my, a mind-based approach to therapy, right? When we talk about somatic therapy, we're talking about a body-based approach to therapy. The um, somatic philosophy um, understands the body and its processes to be knowable to the self alone and the self first and foremost. So practices which come out of this philosophy inherently give agency to the experiencer, right? So for me, it's about teaching people empowering people with different tools so that they can choose which ones work for them. Because I always say that, you know, science is complicated, sex absolutely shouldn't be, and your pleasure is unique and personal to you. So we all have an individual blueprint, an individual map, and it's learning the practices that help um, that help you navigate that map, right? Uh, so <laughs> that's a long... <laughs> Uh, answer. I could keep going as well, Claire. So you can interrupt me anytime you want. <laughs> no, it's good. You have a, a lot to say. And I, like even during the conversation, I, I was thinking about what you said earlier about how we don't talk about it, but we're starting to, particularly with the sharing of information online. And I was thinking about how historically, I suppose, with the genders, and I know, thankfully, we're including more ways of identifying with gender at the moment, um, which is another very positive step. But to go back to the kind of male and, and, and female, men have been more open about talking about arousal and desire and, and women are contacting you privately in the WhatsApp group. But when I hear you speak in the way you speak, there's a real empowerment to how you're doing it. And I think that's sometimes what's different about women and how they're doing it. So, Jenny, we were talking there a little bit about how you would define sexual well-being. But I also touched on our sexuality and, and how our labels around that are also beginning to change and, and open. And we're, we're, we're becoming a bit more open minded about all of that. What is the definition of our sexuality? Well, I think, first of all, it's understanding that there is a difference there is a difference between the word sexuality and sexual activity. I think a lot of people, when we hear the word sexuality, we're automatically, and this is again, because of the lack of education, right? Our, our definitions are limited. So they start most of the time when I say sexuality, people will start to think of sex and very specifically penetrative sex, right? Um, and even more specific still, uh, probably heteronormative sex, so sex between uh, a man and a woman, right? So sexuality is a much, much bigger word than, than that. I would say in terms of if we want to put percentages on it, you know, if we're talking about what it, like how what the percentage of penetrative sex uh, within that term sexuality is probably one percent right and i i'm 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 exaggerating this because it's it to make it clear that th- this is how um much more there is to that word so I would always say when it comes to our sexuality that our sexuality is is really inextricably linked to who we are and how we show up in the world it influences the way that we interact with every single person that shows up in our lives, right? It, when we're disconnected to that sexual, sensual part of ourselves, we really limit the way that we show up in the world. We limit the way that we connect to others and we limit the way we experience ourselves. And then similarly, when we're connected to our sexuality, it has this profound impact that connects and ripples out into all other aspects of our life because the idea of being, the, the idea of our sexuality is really rooted in who we are, how we experience the world, 
how we experience ourselves in that world, how we express ourselves in that world, and how the world also expresses itself to us in return. So it's very much this conversation that is always happening um, uh, between us. So, you know, if you want to get a little bit clearer, like we, it's talking about, you know, our personality. It's talking about how we identify. It's talking about how we connect to and, and experience and feel our body, how well we inhabit our body. And we know this, right? Because when, you know, we separate ourselves from our body, um, um, and and this happens all of the time, right? Um, also, you know, as a, I mean, even if we just talk about body image and women, we are separated from our body unless we're told that if it doesn't look a certain way, that you know, we don't deserve pleasure. We're not worthy of pleasure. And that's why you'd have a lot of women who have these sexual scripts who believe like, oh, I have to lose X amount of weight or I have to look like this before I can, you know, um, have sex basically. Like how many people are like, oh, sorry, uh, I'm not waxed today, so we can't have sex, right? Because we've been given the idea that we have to look a certain way in order to engage in sex in the first place. So th- there's there's many layers to it. Yeah. And, you know, I've spoken about it on this show a good few times. Uh, Women need to stop or people need people need to stop apologizing for themselves, for their appearance, for what's going on. And, and, And I suppose that's part of it. What are some of the other common issues or blocks people have to sexual wellness or that connection to our sexuality? Oh my goodness. I mean, they're so, they're so individual and so dependent on, on people. So I would talk about these as sexual scripts. So sexual scripts are, are ideas, right? Very specific ideas about our sexuality that have been given to us. So unconsciously, we really internalize these and we take these beliefs on as our own until suddenly we're running these sexual narratives that, first of all, aren't ours and most often do not support us. So sexual scripts can look like anything and this is really where i say like we have to get this is where awareness is is super important when it comes to sexual self-discovery so some sexual scripts like just off the top of my head right regular sex is a normal part of romantic relationships right so if we're not having regular regular sex or if we haven't had sex you know if we're not like you have to have a certain amount of sex in order to have and that means that you're that determines whether your relationship is healthy, working well, or not working well, right? So this is absolutely not true, first of all, right? Um, another one is that sex is an obligation that you have to fulfill in order to keep your partner, like in order to stay in the relationship. Another one could be non-penetrative sexual activities are less satisfying and also aren't considered is not considered to be sex. Again, also not true. That you can't have sex, one of the other ones that I said before, like you can't have sex until you lose an X amount of weight, that there's no need to masturbate when you're in a relationship, or that low or a fluctuating <laughs> desire means that you're no longer attracted to your partner. So there's there's just some sexual scripts, like off the top of my head, there's so many more than this, and they're really ingrained into us. And very often when we don't have an awareness and again, this is like education can help bring these things to the forefront of our mind and also help us learn how to understand what a sexual script is and what a sexual belief is and which ones are running programs in us. Um, but uh, th- these like this would be these would be some of them, you know, and off the back of these sexual scripts, we create beliefs like ones that we pick up um 
you know, I always talk about in, in orgasm online, I talk about the developmental stages of our sexuality. So just the same as we as a person have developmental stages, we're an infant, we're a toddler, we're a child, we're a pre-adolescent, adolescent, adult, et cetera, et cetera. Our sexuality also has these developmental stages. So as we go through the developmental stages and we come to the point where maybe we're hitting puberty and we're moving, um, into, uh, into one of the stages of our sexual development. I won't go into all of them because it's, it's, um, it's a bit of a long, a long thing to talk about. But one of them is basically about exploration, erotic exploration. So this is really when, you know, I'd say teenage years, right? We start to, um, engage in in sexual activity and and again it may not be sex or penetrative sex right this can be lots of different things like exploring what it's like to uh, kiss different people and most of the time when we are in that environment we're exploring our sexuality via our peers right so it's not just a self-exploration at this age it's it's very much determined by our peer group so if you look at how you would have grown up in school you would have also been taken taking on these beliefs by what other people and how other people in your um, vicinity are exploring their sexuality as well. So you'd know this, right? When you go to school, if someone um, was very active in terms of kissing all the guys, right, in at the school disco or something, you're you're not just watching that, you're watching how other people react to that. So whether she gets a, more attention and popularity from this or whether she's called a slut, right, for, from this. And based off of those reactions, you're starting to pick up beliefs. And this is um, the, the foundation, right, of the sexual beliefs that you live off of for the rest of your life. So maybe you go through your life then and because of that one incident, maybe she, you know, explored her sexuality with a lot of different people and she was called a slut as a result. You take on the role of being like a good girl, right, like a people pleaser. And maybe you don't explore your sexuality or you only explore your sexuality with one or two people. And maybe you don't even tell other people about it because God forbid they found out that you kissed more than one person in one night because now you're going to be called a slut. So it's about learning how to um, take all of these uh, beliefs, basically, under, be able to look at them and work out which ones work for you and which ones do not so that you get to rewrite your story yourself, right? Um, because that's where then your, se- your sexuality is, is self-governed, essentially. Um, because at this moment in time, someone who is exploring their sexuality isn't, it, it doesn't make it, what, in whatever way they're exploring it, it doesn't mean they're a slut and it also doesn't mean that they're easy and it doesn't mean that they're a prude or whatever, you know, or I, I, I think in my time, like we use the word frigid, you know, but it, we, I'm sure there's other words now, right? But, um, but it doesn't mean either of these things. It's just, it's actually a natural progression and it is, it is a, nece- a necessary part of our sexual development. So I think when you get educated, you give people the tools to be able to understand this. And that's where you give them the power to rewrite the stories that, you know, don't work for them and the ones that do work for them so that then they're stepping forward in a way that is much more, as I said, self-governed and um, moving from, um, their their center right and that's I talk about sexuality moving from the inside out it's really big work that you're doing I mean as you say obviously it's it's multi-layered but the word that just keeps coming back to me again and again is is empowerment through that education and that openness because of course everybody is is individual but you're giving that 
that knowledge, to give that permission, to give that confidence for people to follow what's right for them and teach them to connect with their inner world so that they know what that is and then they can move Mm -hmm. through the world in that way. Uh, There is so much we could continue talking about, of course, um, (laughs) how we educate kids around sex, which is a major bugbear of mine. But Jenny, perhaps you would come back. Um, You're you're an incredible speaker. I've been literally hanging on your every word. So thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. You know, I'm just, I mean, I'm passionate about this. I'm, I have so much information in my head. I always say to the girls online, I'm just like, I wish I could find a way to just squeeze everything out all at once, you know? So I'm really, <laughs> I'm really, really thankful for the opportunity to talk uh, to you and just be able to, you know, talk to more people. So absolutely. Like I'm so, so happy. Um, but can I say one thing before we go, Claire, because yeah. we mentioned it in the first part, it was actually the very last thing you said just before we took a break with regards to, you know, you, you mentioned about men. Um, being a lot more open to talk about sex and women not. And I have to say like this in my experience is absolutely not true. I think it's one of, again, it's one of these really big sexual scripts that we all have. I always hear all the time, you know, that it's, oh, it's so much harder for women to orgasm than men and that women are underinformed about their bodies and their pleasure in comparison to men. And and again, it's such a big uh, script, you know, in my opinion, the holistic space and especially the holistic sex space should absolutely not be about pitting men and women against each other because here's a couple of things to consider, right? When we talk about men. So if you were to talk to your partner or to the men in your life and to say to them, you know, when's the last time you had a male G-spot orgasm? When's the last time you had a multiple body orgasm? When's the last time you had orgasm without ejaculation? When's the last time you engaged in solo sexual exploration for the pleasure of it, right? And when was the last time that they focused on sexual intimacy or their focus on sexual intimacy was more about connection than performance or achievement or trying to finish and et cetera, et cetera, right? So for me, this is like women aren't worse off than men. Our sexuality definitely isn't more complicated than men. It's just different. And I think regardless of who you are, all of us are only tapping into a tiny part of our sexuality and a tiny part of our pleasure potential. And for me, changing this starts with understanding our bodies from the ground up. And that's for everyone because very few of us have really had the privilege, and this is including men, right? Very few of us have had the privilege of learning about our bodies from a pleasure-focused, discovery-orientated, sexually explorative approach to education, because most of the time it was a risk-focused, abstinence-orientated approach. Um, And we were all given this. So for me, it's really about how can we can we put everyone on the same playing field? Because ultimately we all are, you know? Um, So that's just the the last thing that I wanted to say. I'm really passionate about this. Yeah, no, and I agree with you. And I I suppose what I was kind of alluding to was that openness around desire or masturbation that would get thrown in. But you're right, it's in a really casual way. There's no deepness to it and there's no space for many men to come out and, and discuss their multi-layer desires or any issues they might be mm. having in a relationship. And you're right. So it's all quite surface, whereas it seemed to be quite secretive among women and it's starting to change. Again, I said yeah. you're part of a revolution um, and I've no doubt you will continue to break boundaries. If people want to find out more about Jenny's work and her workshop, you can go to JennyKeen.com or follow her on Instagram. She's at Hello Jenny Keen. Jenny, thank you so much. 
Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer Aidan McKelvey and Jojo Cordoza, who was on sound. And thanks to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna, Sunday morning at 8 on News Talk.